The scripture lesson for this morning uh, is taken from two parts of Exodus chapter 16. The first from verses 1 through 5, the second from verses 10 through 15. Listen for the word of God. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elim, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them, whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day... When they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. And then starting with verse 10. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked towards the wilderness. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine, flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Let us pray. Lord, on this beautiful day, remind us that we do not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from your mouth. When I as a preacher hear this, I am reminded that the words you give us are from your mouth. We take them, we think about them, we pray about them, and then as preachers we deliver them. Our prayer is always that the word that comes from our mouth will not be the word from your mouth, but will at least bear witness to it. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So many of us have been watching or recording for future viewing the 18-hour documentary on PBS entitled The Vietnam War. Because I was a child and teenager during most of the years encompassed by that effort, I am watching as many episodes as I am able to watch. They have helped fill gaps in my knowledge, and they've helped connect individual episodes of which I was aware into a larger whole in which they occurred. 
The series is helping me learn more about our nation's history. And I know from just listening to you and listening to people after the early service, the conversation and the thoughts are helpful. At the same time, we have for several years as a nation been debating the purpose and appropriateness of monuments, particularly those that that commemorate Confederate military and political leaders, as well as national leaders who had roots in slavery or in the segregated South. These debates have become more intense. They have become violent in the past several months. To be honest, I have not paid much attention to these monuments over the years or the debates about them in the past. But from reading accounts of protests and counter-protests, of deliberations in university boardrooms and city council chambers, and of editorials pro and con, I have learned some things about our history that I didn't know. Despite the fact that I had an excellent exposure to history in high school, I majored in it in college, and I have read it as an interested amateur for the past 40 years. Such knowledge, knowledge of our past, whenever we acquire it, is a good thing. In our text for today, the people of Israel have just crossed the Red Sea after 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Their crossing was violent and frightening, as we saw last week, ending with them emerging from the sea at daybreak into the sight of Egyptian chariots mired in the mud and Egyptian soldiers slain on the seashore. The sight humbled the Israelites. It filled them with awe and respect for God. And it silenced them into a respectful reverence. After the silence, they broke into song. Once their celebration subsides, which is chapter 15, the Israelites leave the Red Sea and they find themselves in desert wilderness. After three days, they run out of water. This likely happened to any unfound survivors of the earthquake in Mexico City. The Israelites then come upon water at a place called Mara, but there they find the water contaminated and too bitter to drink. They complain against Moses. Moses cries out to the Lord. The Lord directs Moses to pick up a piece of wood and to throw it in the water, which Moses does. When he does this, the water becomes sweet and drinkable for the Israelites, and they commemorate the place by naming it Mara. Two stops later, exactly one month after crossing the Red Sea, the Israelites come to the wilderness of sin. And this is where our story, our passage for today, picks up. The narrator tells us the whole congregation of the Israelites 
complained against Moses and Aaron, his brother and co-leader. The Israelites say, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt, where we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you, Moses and Aaron, you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, in many ways, if we stop our reading of the text and just think about these words, it is a remarkable statement. The narrator presents it as a unanimous grievance. The whole congregation complained. And the complaint expresses a memory of slavery whose accuracy we have a hard time believing. Flesh pots, which are cauldrons in which meat was cooked, and bread to the fill, are unlikely descriptions of the actual conditions under which the people of Israel lived during their 400 years of slavery or even during those years that those who were doing the crying out to God could remember. We sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. Really? Their complaint is visceral and guttural. It is therefore real, as primal screams usually are. And in talking about their complaint, I cannot help but feel in some ways like I'm blaming the victim. But it seems to me that their complaint about their past in slavery comes from such a place of pain in the present that it leads them to whitewash their history and to downplay the actual experience they suffered as slaves. That is sometimes the case with people and with populations that have been abused. But what the Israelites seem to be really saying is, at least when we were in Egypt, we would have died with a full stomach. So how does God respond to this? It is fortunate that in God's long commitment to his people and to his promise of land and descendants and blessings for them, that God does not require them to earn advanced placement in history. Rather, God addresses Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. Now this is from a God, if we've been reading along in the Bible, whom we have seen rain flood and fire and plagues, but who is now issuing a promise to rain bread from heaven. It is in fact from this story that Jesus will later adopt the phrase, our daily bread, make it a part of his prayer, a part of our lives. 
Give us this day our daily bread. I am about to rain bread from heaven. Now, after several more rounds of conversation, which we skipped over in the reading of the text, the narrator then tells us, in the evening quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew. When the layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance as fine as frost on the ground. I can remember that image, that promise, that text from my childhood. It's a beautiful response on the part of God. Now, though God's response is generous, one line of it reveals that God dispenses neither an easy A or a gentleman C in his relationship with the people of Israel. In raining bread from heaven, God says, I will test them whether they will follow my instruction, my teaching, my Torah, or not. As we've been going through the Old Testament this summer and fall, I've been reading a lot of contemporary Jewish scholars, and one of them says about this passage, Robert Alter, the underlying conception of God in ancient Israel, the God we see in the Old Testament, beginning with the Garden of Eden story and going forward, is a God who offers humankind a great abundance of gifts, manna, but always stipulates restrictions to be observed, to be honored in their enjoyment. Another scholar, Aviva Zornberg, comments that the way the Israelites respond to God's provision leads one to question whether they are really ready for the redemption God offers. The way their pain in the present, leads them to obscure the past is tragic. It is a deep wound. Yet if they continue to look at the past with nostalgia, if they continue to have selective memory of what has occurred in their history, or if they continue to ignore the past not in a way that reveals that they've incorporated it into their lives and don't really have to revisit, again, revisit it again, which is legitimate, but if they ignore the past in a way that, that is willfully ignorant, that it continues to haunt them, then they will move forward suffering the consequences of an unclear mind of a cloudiness about truth, of an avoidance of facts, of reality, past and present. Though God showers them with an abundance of gifts, God expects a responsible stewarding of those gifts in return. I will test them. See if they follow 
my teaching or not. Notice on one level this story from the past reminds us, or it teaches us today, that the task of any society, particularly a democratic society such as ours, is to determine together how we use the abundance of gifts God has provided and how we observe the respectful restrictions that are put in place so that we can properly steward those gifts. This is a function of our politics. This is a function of our public ethics. This is a function that our faith informs. This is why we must know our history. And this is why we must be involved in the public square. We live with abundance and we live with limits. The challenge before us as a society is to find the appropriate and even faithful balance between these two abundance and limits. Personally and as a society. Now in the next phase of the story, the narrator says, when the Israelites saw the fine flaky substance, they said to one another, what is it? For they didn't know what it was. Moses then said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Now this sounds like a happy ending to a simple story. Slaves are freed, they run out of food, they cry out to God, God provides, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. We can all go home feeling good, which I want you to go home feeling. It is a happy ending, but the ending is not as simple as it first seems. Because you see, and this is fascinating to me, I didn't know it till this week, running throughout this entire story, including in this ending, is the word what? What are we that you complain against us, Moses and Aaron say? What is it, the Israels ask, when they see the fine substance on the ground? They did not know what it was, the narrator says. That's just three uses of what, and there are ten or twelve uses of what throughout this story. Now again, it may sound just like a simple progression of events through this story, but there is a subtle message that emerges from the root of the Hebrew word that we translate as what. And this part's what's fascinating to me. What in Hebrew is man who? From it, we get the word manna. The two times that the narrator names the fine flaky substance that the Lord has provided as manna, the word could just as easily be translated as what? In the morning you shall have your fill of what? It is the what that the Lord has given you. 
What this teaches us is that whenever these abundant blessings come to us, whenever God acts in a way for our good, there is mystery surrounding it. And we can't always recognize it other than to know that something good is going on. Is it manna? Is it bread? Is it man who? What is it? What is it? Yet at the same time, there is absolutely no mystery about the source of this provision. It is man who from heaven. It is manna from heaven. It is bread from heaven. Whatever it is, it is from heaven. God's provision to us in the most personal way in our lives, in the most corporate ways in our history, is often hard to recognize, hard to describe, and hard to name, but its source is clear from heaven. So we are awash in history these days. We're in this 10-year period of recognizing the 50-year anniversaries of everything that happened in the 1960s. We are in debates over monuments and their names. We are watching documentaries about a war fought long ago, a war we still seek to understand, a war whose differences among us we still seek to reconcile. But the promise of this simple biblical story, a promise that lies at the heart of our faith that almost any biblical story could convey, is that in the midst of the history we are living, God is living with us. God provides. Man who? Manna. Bread. From heaven. And God's provision also places a call upon us. A responsibility to know our history, to know who we are, to know where we have been as a prelude to knowing where we are going. Such knowledge is difficult and as painful and as hard one as it often is brings us one step closer to being ready for the redemption that God offers ready for the provisions that God provides, ready for the wilderness we'll face and the land to come and the Messiah who will come and whisper in our ear, follow thou me. What is it? And who? Manna? Bread? What is it? It's from heaven. <laughs>